Good afternoon. It's a joy to be here today. Uh, thankful to have visitors with us, encouraged by your presence. If you will, open your Bibles to Romans chapter 12, if they're not already open there. That's where we'll be uh, focusing our time together. If you mark that passage in Romans 12, uh, we'll be coming back to it periodically throughout our lesson today. Humans are inherently social beings. We come in contact with hundreds of people every day, every week. Um, maybe even hundreds of thousands, millions by the end of our life. Uh, we interact with people on a regular basis, whether it be at work or at school, at home, um, with our church family at the grocery store, the bank, driving in traffic, on the internet, over the phone. We, we are constantly in interaction with other people. And when it comes to our service to the Lord, much of our service to the Lord has to do with how we conduct ourselves in those interactions and in those relationships with other people. You can't separate the, the first and greatest command to love the Lord with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength from the second, which Jesus includes, uh, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. In our service to God, we can't simply be hermits. We can't simply be monks off in a monastery somewhere. We have to learn to conduct ourselves after Jesus' example, after the character of God as we interact with other people. And that's not always an easy thing to do. Personalities clash, perspectives differ, people don't always act the way that they should. And while we can't control the actions of others, we can control how we act ourselves. In fact, that's really the only thing that we can control. And so I want to focus in on this passage here in Romans chapter 12 and verse 18, where we read, If possible, so far as depends on you, be at peace with all men. Uh, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 and verse 9, said, Blessed are the peacemakers, uh, those who are kingdom citizens, who are part of uh, the kingdom of Christ will be those who are promoting peace in their relationships with other people. But he makes the point to say, so far as depends on you. We can't control what others do. They may have wrong attitudes. They may not treat us the right way. But as far as depends on us, we need to be at peace with others. In interest of trying to make application to our lives today as we study this, as we look into the mirror of God's Word, I'd encourage you to, to think of one or two individuals in your life that you may have a hard time getting along with. Maybe it's a, a co-worker, maybe if it, it's a fellow schoolmate, maybe it's a neighbor, maybe uh, it's a brother or sister, a parent or a child, a spouse, maybe it's some brother in Christ or sister in Christ that... Uh, personalities just clash a little bit. You have a hard time seeing eye to eye. Um, as we look into the mirror of God's word and as we go throughout this passage and try to see what our responsibility is, um, let's try to make specific application to us. I'm sure that as we consider this, we can think about that other person. We can think about a hundred different things that they could do to bring about peace in this relationship. But what the Bible urges us to do is first to look at ourselves. What can we do to promote peace so far as depends on us? First, 
Regardless of how others act, we can respond with kindness. Look back at verse 14, the first verse that we read. It says, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Notice here, the, the command is a positive one. It's not just that we are not to curse. It's not just that we are not to say bad things about others, but actively we are to say good things about others. Bless and do not curse. This word bless in the Greek is the word uh, eulogio, which is where we get our English word eulogy. Now, what, what's a eulogy? Well, when, when somebody dies and you go to the funeral, what type of things does the, the preacher say about that person? Have you ever been to a funeral and the preacher gets up and he talks about how horrible of a person this was and all the bad things and the mistakes they made and all the faults in their character? Well, no, not, not generally. In, in, in a funeral, we're going to eulogize that person. We're going to focus in on the good things about them. Uh, and choose to remember those things, whereas all of us have our faults and make our mistakes. Um, we, we choose to focus on those good things. Well, that's what we're talking about here. Bless and do not curse. Actively, not just once they're dead, but even while they're living, eulogize that person. Choose to focus in on the good. Uh, and where at all possible, speak good rather than evil about that person. Look down in verse 19 through 21. It says, Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Verse 20, But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Once again here, we don't just have a negative command that we're not to retaliate, that we're not to take revenge. But when we look in verse 20, we see actively there is a way that we are supposed to react. We are to react in love, in kindness, doing good for that person. Instead of focusing in on getting even with that other person, we need to focus in on serving that other person, meeting their needs, seeing what we can do to treat them with kindness. Jesus speaks a lot about this in the Sermon on the Mount. If you're going to keep your Bibles marked in Romans chapter 12 and turn over to Matthew chapter 5 for a moment. Here in Matthew 5, starting verse 38, Jesus speaks a lot about how we should treat those who mistreat us, how we should treat our enemies. In verse 38, beginning, we read, You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist an evil person, but whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. You know, that concept in verse 38, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, that's what our society would teach us in many respects as well. That, you know, if, if somebody crosses your path, if somebody does something against you, you need to stand up for yourself, you need to protect your rights, you need to make sure that nobody's trampling over you, uh, you need to get even. Well, that's not what Jesus says. He says there in verse 39, if someone slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. Now, there may be a little bit of hyperbole or, or exaggeration here. Uh, certainly earlier in the same chapter when he talks about cutting off our right hand or plucking out our right eye, he's using a hyperbole there. But I think sometimes we're going to make this more of a hyperbole than it actually is. Uh, I think sometimes we, we want to uh, hide behind Jesus exaggerating here well, and say, well, I, you know, I, I don't really have to uh, allow people to, to trample over me in that way. 
Well, if we look here and we're honest with ourselves, we see that Jesus wants us to be vulnerable to other people. Uh, rather than standing up for ourselves, he wants us to sacrifice of ourselves in love towards others. If we continue in this same passage, notice in verse 40, it says, If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, let him have your coat also. Whoever forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks you, and do not turn away from him who wants to borrow from you. Uh, here, it's, it's not just about not reacting when we're mistreated. It is about positively reacting in love towards others. Going the extra mile, sacrificing of ourselves to do good towards others. Uh, even if we feel like someone else is taking advantage of us. He says, you willingly lay, lay yourself down and sacrifice of yourself to do good towards others, even if they're taking advantage, even if they are mistreating you. We need to have a, a genuine concern for others' well-being, not whether or not they're going to pay us back. If we continue in verse 43 and 44, it says, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Many times don't, don't we feel that we only have a responsibility towards those people who are willing to treat us the right way? And then if you're not willing to treat me the right way, well, then I don't have a responsibility any longer to, to treat you the way. Uh, that Jesus would. Well, no, all the more so when somebody mistreats us. Do we need to show the love of Christ? And do we need to have a genuine love for those people? Uh, it says there in verse 44 that we need to pray for those who are persecuting. That we need to genuinely ask God for blessings upon that person. That we need to genuinely desire their good. Brethren, when we are in some conflict with another, when somebody else is mistreating us, they need to show up more in our prayers and less in our gossip. We need to bring their name before the Lord, asking for their good rather than complaining about them um, or dragging their name through the mud towards other people. Verse 45, Jesus continues, he said, So that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? If you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Therefore you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Our standard is not what the world expects or how the world acts. Our standard is God himself. God, who shows no discrimination in sending his rain in sunshine. God, who gives to all liberally. We, as well, need not to make distinctions. Uh, you know, those who, who treat me well, well, I'll, I'll treat you well, or you can be my friend. Uh, but if you don't treat me well, well, I'm going to keep you in some other category. No, if God is our example... We're going to show love even to those who don't deserve it. We, many times that's our excuse. Well, they, but they don't deserve that. Well, of course, we don't deserve the love of God. If he is our standard, 
then it doesn't matter if others have earned our love, have earned our respect. Um, we need to be willing to love as God loves. The example of Jesus in Luke 23 and verse 34, as he is hanging upon the cross, the very ones who are there spitting upon him, who are mocking him, the very ones who have nailed his hands into this cross, Jesus prays in verse 34, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. That needs to be our attitude towards others. And not only having that attitude when we have been wronged, but even when we fear or expect that somebody is going to treat us wrongly. Turn your Bibles to John chapter 13. John chapter 13, we see Jesus here washing the disciples' feet. And John sets up the context before we see Jesus girding himself with the towel and washing their feet. Starting in verse 2, we read, During supper, the devil, having already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, to betray him. Jesus, knowing that God had put all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, got up from supper and laid aside his garments and taking a towel, he girded himself. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet. Here Jesus takes this lowly position of a servant. But notice the context that John sets up for us. Why do you think in verse 2 he mentions that it had already entered into the heart of Judas to betray Jesus? What, what does that have to do with Jesus washing the disciples' feet? Well, we see that Jesus very well knew who it was who was going to betray him. If we look later on in verse 26, he identifies Judas as the one who's betraying him. And yet the very night that Judas betrays him, what is Jesus doing towards Judas? He's washing his feet. Do you think Jesus might have been tempted to, to rub a little extra hard on, on Judas's feet? But Jesus shows love, puts himself in a position of service, even to the very one that he knew was going to mistreatment. It's not just about forgiving those who have wronged us. Even when somebody is in the act of wronging us, we need to have the attitude of Jesus. As much as depends on us, we need to show kindness. We need to show love. We need to do good to take that position of a servant. But if you turn back to Romans chapter 12, not only do we see we need to respond with kindness, but also we need to respond with compassion. If you look in Romans chapter 12, starting in verse 15, we read, Rejoice with those who rejoice, and weep with those who weep. Verse 16 says, Be of the same mind towards one another. We need to have a certain empathy in our relationship with other people. Yes, even those who mistreat us. We need to put ourselves in other people's shoes to feel the way that they feel, to understand what they are going through, um, to have empathy with their hurts, and to even rejoice in their successes. In verse 16, when it says, be of the same mind towards 
one another. Some take that statement and associate it more with verse 15, and some associate it more with what's said later. Uh, but Christosom, uh, relating this with verse 15, um, comments on it, and he says, Enter into each other's circumstances in order to see how you would yourself feel. Barnes on this idea of being of the same mind says, think of, regard, or seek after the same thing for each other. What you regard or seek for yourself, seek also for your brethren. We need to, in one sense, be of the same mind with them in, in trying to put ourselves in their shoes and putting ourselves in their mind, feeling what they feel, uh, try to understand what they're going through. And that ultimately is, is the basis for the golden rule. Matthew 7, verse 12, In everything, therefore, treat people the same way you want them to treat you, for this is the law and the prophets. The second and greatest command, love your neighbor as yourself. Well, what does that require? That requires that I try to put myself in their position, that I have a certain compassion and empathy, even if they are calloused towards my feelings, even if they have no empathy, Towards me, uh, we need to show that we have a care and empathy um, for others. When I was in high school, um, there was a, a uh, student that I had some association with named Cameron Douglas. Uh, Cameron was first chair in jazz band. I was second chair. He was a year before me in school, um, and Cameron was not the nicest individual. Um, many times he came across to me as rather arrogant um, and selfish um, and unkind. In fact, later on I found out that he uh, was active in spreading some rumors about me, uh, starting some rumors about me uh, in high school. And so I always viewed him as a little bit of a jerk, but once I graduated, uh, he contacted me, uh, in fact, to apologize for some of the things that he had done. And I come, came to find out what was going on in his life during those years. Cameron was in an abusive home uh, that got to the point that he had to flee his home. He was living on the streets during high school. He was eating out of dumpsters, and he was breaking into the Band, uh, band room at school for a safe place to sleep at night. That's what was going on in his life while I was upset because he was acting in unkind ways towards me. Now, none of those things justify uh, somebody in acting ways that they shouldn't. However, um, learning that after the fact had a deep impact on me and how I view other people. Um, that I may be completely unaware what others are going through. And that God would call me to try to give others the benefit of the doubt, to try to view them in the best light possible, to try to, to be compassionate towards what they may be struggling with and what they may be going through, um, towards any hard, hardships or heartaches that they may be experiencing. And so we need to learn to try to have that empathy and that compassion for other people, even those who are mistreating us. 
we need to learn to believe the best to get close enough that we can understand what they are struggling through. And this ultimately is the example that Jesus has given us. Turn in, uh, to Philippians chapter 2 for a moment. Philippians chapter 2, in verse 4, we read, Do not merely look out for your own personal interest, but also for the interests of others. Many times we are very in tune to our own likes and dislikes, to our own desires, to our own interests. Um, that dominates a lot of our thinking from day to day as we make decisions for ourselves. But what we are called to here is to make ourselves more in tune to the interests of others, towards what is going to be best for them. And Jesus ultimately is our example. In verse 5, building on this, it says, Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus did not simply conduct himself uh, for his own interests and his own desires. If he had, he never would have left heaven to begin with. Why is it that Jesus was willing to empty himself? Why was it that Jesus was willing to leave his home in heaven, to let go of his equality with God, to suffer and to bleed and to die for us? It's because he made our interests, our well-being, his own. He was in tune to our needs, and he allowed that to direct his action. As we've studied in Hebrews recently, we have a merciful and a compassionate high priest who can sympathize with our weaknesses. And that is our pattern for our dealing with other people. As much as depended on him, he sought to bring peace between us and God. We need to be willing to do the same towards others in compassion and in empathy. But if you look back in Romans chapter 12, once again, as we continue in this same passage, we see that to promote uh, healthy relationships with others, we need to respond with humility. In verse 16, be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. The Syriac translation of this passage says, And what you think concerning yourselves, the same also think concerning your brethren. Neither think with an elevated or ambitious mind, but accommodate yourself to those who are of humbler condition. How do we often view ourselves? When we think about our own strengths and weaknesses, our own good qualities and our bad qualities, uh, what we often like to do is focus in on our good qualities um, and kind of minimize our bad qualities. And unfortunately, what we often do with other people is exactly the opposite. We focus in on their negative qualities, the things that uh, frustrate me about them, and we minimize their good qualities. What we are being called to is to switch that around. To be very aware of our own faults 
and our own inadequacies, to be willing to admit our own failures, and to focus in on the good qualities of other people. We need not to elevate ourselves, but rather elevate other people. Romans chapter 12 and verse 10, if we go back earlier in this passage, it says, Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. Some versions say, Outdo one another in showing honor. What do we normally want to outdo one another with? We, we normally want to you know, set ourselves up higher, try to one-up other people in gaining honor for ourselves. Here he says, no, outdo one another in showing honor. Lift other people up. Be willing to have a humble attitude yourself uh, and rather focus on showing honor, on focusing on the good qualities of other people. And when we talk about healthy uh, relationships, interactions with other people in the world around us, pride is one of the biggest factors that causes contention, that causes uh, difficulty in our relationships with others. Proverbs chapter 28 and verse 25 says, An arrogant man stirs up strife, but he who trusts in the Lord will prosper. Wounded pride, trying to save face, battles over status and position are often the core of conflict. If we are going to live at peace with all men, we need to make sure that as much as depends on us, pride is out of the equation. Um, that it is not something that is going to cause contention between us and other people, but that we are willing to have a humble attitude towards ourselves, accepting our faults, and having an attitude of honor towards others, even when it is hard to show honor. Again, Jesus is our example here. In Philippians chapter 2, we already talked about having the mind of Christ, but another aspect of that we see in verse 3 of that passage. We read, Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. Jesus, in his example, not only shows us his selflessness, not only is it an example of sacrifice, but Jesus is an example of humility for us. That he, even though he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself. Not only did Jesus empty himself of his self-interest or his self-preservation, he emptied himself of his glory. And he was willing to humble himself to become obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Jesus was willing to not defend his honor. You know, if, if anybody ever had a right to defend his honor, you think Jesus would have had that right. He deserved that honor. And yet Jesus, as people are mocking him, as people are crucifying him in a shameful death, he does not defend his honor. He willingly accepts that. He humbles himself to death, even death upon the cross. If Jesus was willing to humble himself, how much more should I be willing to humble myself? Because I have plenty of faults, and I have plenty of weaknesses and insufficiencies. And so when I think about humility, it shouldn't be some false modesty that I, I say, well, I'm really not as good as everybody thinks I am. No, my humility 
is recognizing my complete inadequacy, my weaknesses, my faults, willing to accept rebuke, to accept correction, um, even if others aren't who they should be. If I have a speck in my eye, something needs to be done about it. It, it, it really, as far as depends on me, shouldn't matter what's in the other person's eye. I need to make sure that I have the humility to accept rebuke. Proverbs, uh, 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 5 tells us that we are to be clothed with humility towards one another. Is that how others would describe us, clothed with humility? Or might we be clothed with arrogance, with pride? Um, is that the attitude that we reflect towards others, towards our family, towards our brethren, towards our coworkers? Would somebody else describe me as somebody who is clothed with humility? If I'm clothed with it, it's going to be something that's reflected, that's evident to other people. Well, Jesus says that's the attitude that we need to be reflecting towards those around us. Jesus himself was certainly clothed with humility. Think about John 13 specifically. As he washes the disciples' feet, what does he do? He girds himself with a towel. He takes the position of a servant. Are we willing to take that position in our relationship with other people? Even if there's a Judas in our midst, are we willing to clothe ourselves with humility to serve um, even those who have wronged us? If we're willing to take that position, we'll go a far way in promoting peace in our relationship with others. But back to Romans chapter 12. We see it in verse 17, we also need to respond with consideration. Uh, notice in verse 17, it says, Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. What does that mean? Some versions say, take thought for what is right in the sight of all men. That means I need to consider how my words and how my actions may be perceived by those around me. And we need to respect the perspective of others, take into account um, the way that they may uh, see my actions and my words um, and how that may affect them. R.L. Whiteside, in commentary of this passage, says this does not mean that we must be men-pleasers. The Greek word for take thought means to pre-think, to think before you adopt a certain course of action. Uh, and here, what we are thinking about, in verse 17, it is what is right in the sight of all men. You know, society today uh, promotes a I don't care what people think attitude. It doesn't matter what people think. They encourage us to, to be who we are, who we want to be, regardless of how it affects other people, regardless of how it may be perceived by others. And yet... We see time and time again throughout the scriptures that God does want us to take thought for how our actions are going to be perceived by others and how it may influence those around us. Let's look at a few examples. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 8 if you'd like to, and actually we'll, we'll have it up on the screen if you want to just look there. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 
verse 20 and 21. Here Paul, in speaking about the collection that was being made for the, the saints at Jerusalem, as he's giving instruction to uh, the, the church there, he says, take precautions so that no one will discredit us in our administration of this generous gift. For we have regard for what is honorable, not only in the sight of the Lord, but also in the sight of men. What does Paul mean here in this context? As he is uh, orchestrating this, this gift to Jerusalem, uh, he makes sure that multiple people are involved. He makes sure that they are people that are approved by the congregations who are known to be men of integrity. Why? Well, Paul wasn't doing anything wrong. What, what if Paul said, no, I, I don't need to get other people to help me. I don't need to have people that you approve. I'm not doing anything wrong, so it doesn't matter. Uh, I'm just going to take this gift myself and bring it to Jerusalem. Well, no, Paul says that he is giving thought to what is right in the sight of men, as well as in the sight of God. Now, we can't take that to the extreme, as we already mentioned. It's not that we're men pleasers, that we're trying to uh, do everything based on what is going to be approved by men. But it means that when I am able to, I need to give thought to how this is going to come across to other people, how it is going to influence other people. He realized that this was not simply a factor of being blameless in the eyes of God, but he also needed to remain above reproach in the eyes of men, and that affected the way that he was going to act. Uh, look also in Matthew chapter 17. Here in Matthew 17, uh, some of the scribes and Pharisees approach Peter about the temple tax and ask Peter if his master pays the temple tax. And Peter says, yes, uh, but then he goes back to Jesus and Jesus asks him, he says, do, do kings of the earth take taxes uh, from strangers or from their own sons? He says, well, from strangers. Then the sons are exempt. And the point that Jesus is making that uh, the temple is his own house. <laughs> he doesn't have to pay taxes for his own house. And yet, notice what Jesus says in verse 27. He says, however, so that we do not offend them, go to the sea and throw in a hook and take the first fish that comes up, and when you open its mouth, you will find a shackle. Take that and give it to them for you and me. Here, Jesus specifically does something that he might not offend or cause to stumble other people. Now, Jesus certainly did many things that did cause offense. Uh, many of his teachings did uh, offend the Pharisees and the scribes, and yet where he was able not to cause unnecessary offense, Jesus was willing to do that. And this is the concept that we read of in Romans 14 as well. If you turn your Bibles there with me, I don't have this one on the screen. Romans chapter 14, verse 19 through 21 we read, so then we pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. Do not tear down the work of God for the sake of food. All things indeed are clean, but they're evil for the man who eats and gives offense. It is good not to eat meat or to drink wine or to do anything by which your brother stumbles. Now, the point that is being made here under the new covenant, there was 
nothing wrong with eating unclean meat. There was nothing wrong inherently with eating meat that had prior been sacrificed to an idol. And yet, just because there was nothing inherently wrong with that doesn't mean that they should just go ahead and do it regardless of what other people are going to think. Here he tells them that it is good not to do any of those things that is going to cause my brother to stumble. So just because I have the right to do something, just because I may actually be doing nothing wrong, doesn't mean that I shouldn't give consideration to how my words and how my actions may be perceived by others and how it may cause them to stumble, how it may negatively influence them. I need to be willing to be transparent. I need to be willing to be open. I need to be willing to conduct myself in such a way that I'm not going to cause unnecessary offense. First Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9 says, But take care that this liberty of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. Later, later on in verse 13, Paul says, Therefore, if food causes my brother to stumble, I will never eat meat again, so that I will not cause my brother to stumble. Paul had a right to eat of these things. But he says, if it's going to cause my brother to stumble, I'll do whatever it takes. I won't eat meat again if it's going to cause him to stumble. Just because I have a right to do it does not mean that it's going to be best for my brother. And I need, rather, to consider how my actions are going to influence others. I need to uh, have a respect for others' perspective taken into account how my words and how my actions are going to be perceived by them, how it is going to influence them. That doesn't mean that we go to the extreme of, of being politically correct, of, of you know, not ever causing any offense to anyone. The, the gospel itself is going to offend people. The truth is going to offend people. But where I might be tempted to cause unnecessary offense, I need to stop and I need to consider how my words and actions are going to affect others. So, are you doing all that you can to live at peace with all men? As you looked into the mirror of God's word, what did it show you about yourself? What did it show me about myself? Others are rarely going to act the way that they should. Uh, I often don't act the way that I should. But the one person that I can control is me. How I choose to respond. Am I going to respond with kindness, with compassion, with humility, with consideration? If we want to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the Lord's church, if we want to have homes that are characterized by the love of Christ, if we want to shine our lights to the world around us, then we need to work at these qualities in our hearts and in our lives. But the most important question is not just are we at peace with other people? Um, but primarily, are we at peace with God? And if we haven't been conducting ourselves in the proper way with those around us, uh, then we cannot be in right relationship with the Lord. Um, our service and interaction with others is um, part of our service to the Lord. And if you recognize today that there is some area that there is sin in your life, sin that needs to be confessed, sin that needs to be corrected in some public way. We want to help you in doing that. We want you to be at peace with the Lord.
as much as depends on God, as much as depends on Jesus, they have made it possible for you to be at peace with them. Jesus was willing to empty himself, was willing to come to earth, was willing to sacrifice himself, die upon the cross so that we could be reconciled to God. So far as depends on him, we will be saved. But we have to respond. Are you willing to respond? Are you willing to be reconciled to God? To put away your sin, your enmity with the Lord, to allow him to cleanse you of those sins in the waters of baptism. Uh, if there's some correction that you need to make today, if there's any way that we can help you, we ask that you'll make it known at this time.